October 31, 2018. Happy Halloween! It's a lot from Pedro Show. Thank you. 
חדשות מסעירות. העולם מסתיים עוד חמש שנים. We interrupt this broadcast with terrible news. We have just learned that the world will end in five years. Live from Pedro's show. Happy Halloween, people. Last day of Oct. I think I've, it's the ninth show. I don't think I've ever done this many Live from Pedro's shows in a month. In the, almost, uh, well, over 17 and a half. Coming up on 18 in May. Years of doing this. Brother Matt, hopefully I'm going to see him Sunday. And we'll rejoin as the tag team with uh, uh, Aiden in the betting that he does so well with me. Uh, but uh, I'm not a man alone. Totally my pad here in Pedro because due to the engineering wonders of those programmers in Estonia for coming up with the Skype software, I got John Elderkin. Uh, are you in uh, Chapel Hill? I'm in Durham, actually. I, w- I was okay, in Chapel by, Hill. And now okay, John, welcome aboard, brother. Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad to be Man, here. Man, you made a righteous piece of work. And... Uh, and now people uh, wear some of my later stuff. I, I ended up doing three of these operas, and it's kind of on the same uh, trip John is, where it's one big song made out of little ones. And uh, but mm. uh, so uh, we started with uh, the Thelonious Monk with John Coltrane doing Ruby, my dear. But you know those nine months in between the two stints, uh, John Coltrane's, uh, I mean Miles Davis's quintet. Uh, he did nine months, and that's also when he kicked the shit, like the year I was born. So it was an important time. And then the first part of uh, uh, Moonbeams Moon No Mas. Yeah. Uh, news came over is the first part. and But we're going to get to that piece, you know, which is, you did in the uh, last year or two, right? It's pretty recent. But what is your earliest musical memory, John? Uh you know, my earliest memory is of my mother um, in the afternoons with a transistor radio, listening to the AM radio and kind of going around the house doing chores and things and, and uh, kind of following her around and, and soaking that up in the in the mid 70s. Okay. And uh, I I we were not. We were not a musical family. There was not music in the house otherwise, and I think that's why that that transistor radio just. <laughs> I mean, knows. she was a listener, but you're saying there's no players. There were no players, and my mom was, to be honest, she was a very casual listener. She, um, it was, you know, she. It wasn't like she would say, "Hey, did you happen to hear the new Neil Diamond song?" Or you know. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. I- you mean like she didn't really have record collection? She's just listening to whatever's coming over the radio. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah. So, so it was, um, you know, it was a real beacon for me, and and really, um, I was so attuned to it. I think my parents kind of picked up on. Well, hey, he might be interested in music and art. <laughs> but, yeah, but what, what 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 gave him that indicator, John? Um. You know, I, <laughs> I think, um, I think I walked around the house singing those songs all the time, and uh, I would make lists. I so also didn't uh, know the song. Your Sorry. first instrument was your voice, then. 
early on, I mean, yeah, yeah, until I found an electric guitar. Yeah, right, um, right. But you started off with the, the yeah, the, the, the birthed <laughs> instrument. Well, uh, what about at school? Do they have music classes in your, your school? Like choir, a choir or a school band or shit like that? They did. You know, when I was in, say, third grade, I, I tried the clarinet, and it, it just didn't go anywhere. And um, Parallel universe, come- same with me, seventh grade. Mr. Luna, the music teacher, said, Mr. Watt, you try hard, but <laughs> yeah, I tried, I tried for ten I, weeks. You know, it, it's funny how direct they were. Maybe they <laughs> still are, but I had the same thing. The music director basically said, you're not cut out for this. <laughs> Shit. My, was it in front of the class? Uh... No, although, you know, I do, I, I have memories of feeling a little bit ashamed in front of the class, so he might have said something. Okay, Mr. Yeah. Luna here at Dotson Junior High in Pedro. I had just got uh, here, you know, from Virginia, and uh, he goes, you know, Mr. White, you try hard. I told you that part, but I'll tell you the other part. He said, I don't think you should be wasting your time or my time. And then he looks at the class, and I goes, our time. <laughs> so I never took another music class. <laughs> I learned from D. Boone and Credence Records. <laughs> yeah. But you know, who knows? Funny. You know, like uh, any farmer would tell you, uh, uh, get a good crop from, you know, manure. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so you, the third grade clarinet experience wasn't so good. What about uh, first record you bought yourself? Um, you know, the, the first record I bought was um, Glenn Campbell's Greatest Hits. Right. Um, and I, you know, so I was raised on this AM pop music and I didn't, I really just, I didn't know that there was hard rock. I didn't, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know about jazz. I was kind of living in a bubble and I really soaked up that, like for me, the, um, the primitive thing is the, the pop hook, you know. Oh, and, sure. Um, right, because AM radio was big, but actually late 60s, early 70s, there was stuff like, there was a edited version of Smoke on the Water from Live Deep Purple on AM radio. Yeah, yeah, you can believe that true. shit. American Woman from the Guess Who. Yep, Which right, is kind of a hard version. rock thing, right? But you're right, as FM radio came in, it divided up. Yeah. Yeah, I think I must have missed. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, you know, I would like I, I I knew the Carpenters and John Denver and like all those CB radio songs, you know, singing about your truck and all of that. And I knew that stuff inside out. But they would also sprinkle in Stevie Wonder or Sly or, you know, there was there was cool stuff. Oh, that was, yeah. But Stevie was, Wonder had those three big albums. Well, yeah. Actually, he's playing everything on him, Pertner, you know. Uh, I want to play here the next three parts of your uh Opus. Uh, okay. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah. We waited five years for the world to go bust, to explode into space and scatter as dust. I tried to hold on, wasn't sure who to trust. I didn't know about love yet. I didn't know about love yet We waited five years What a grueling routine The assholes acted nice The sweethearts got me 
mom shoot us outside Said run play while you can The old man grabbed our necks Shoved shovels in our hands Said we're perfectly safe We'll dig halfway to Japan Oh man I didn't know about love yet I didn't know about love yet I ran away straight to the record store I charged in singing that song about hate and war When who were you all alone by the used vinyl bin? I was trying to choose between Molly Hatch and Ringo Starr when you stumbled in Stumbled in? You wore an eye patch. What could you see? Even with lazy eyes, I could tell you were three inches shorter than me. The record stores, record stop, just as I said out loud. Well, please, don't end now. Don't end now. We waited five years for the world to shut off. To go still and dark with a whimper and cough. Waited five years and a day My sis marked the calendar Said no freaking way In five years and a week Mom opened our hatch Took a peek Five years became six and seven The old man paced the yard Grumbling, same hell, same heaven I grew at least a foot Hanging by the used vinyl bin Waiting for a certain someone to walk back in I didn't know about love yet I didn't know about love yet I didn't know about love yet
I think I know. So, let's get serious now. <laughs> Was Poe afraid? This is a serious poem. I didn't mean it to be comical. On these same brick streets of Baltimore tonight, Was Poe afraid? Afraid of the fluorescent eyes of dogs, the raven's reflection, the rat's scat through sawdust in Holland's market, the smell of rot and burlap thick as fur. Afraid of roaches, disease, of poverty, loud poverty, boom box, crackle crack, whip, poor ponies, pulling carts full of greens up Green Street, overloaded with greed, afraid of the thick sky over foggy tavern doors on Cross Street, cloud-draped rummage crimson cloak, threading from the hill down to the curling dark water bay, afraid of the statues with iron pope, Poet capes flowing in formal rapture and cast hollow spirits, looking down cold upon those animated who walking and talking past old doorways. 
afraid of the wine, the drugs, the vault, of alcoholic shorelines, fractal, ragged fault, floating in a dream grave, afraid to yell, smug disciples repeating versions of hell, the whirl of a wash, a tangled thread, sets an alarm that turns to dread, makes the vision flow instead into creation and how such a grace is fed. Life is a poor host grabbing guests who came, swirling great pleated sheets, wrapping the stars, leaving streaming party coils to their last cars. Some on twilight's slightly twisted cane. Yeah.
občas se steže, spasiti te može, samo tajno znanje, tajno znanje, tajno znanje, tajno znanje, tajno znanje.
Watch for Pedro's show. Yeah, the first, uh, next three parts, two, three, and four. Um, we waited five years. Messy down below, and the message. And after that, we had Charlie Plymel reading a poem was Poe Afraid. Uh, Pussy Riot with Pong. A little boy with the ray gun from uh, Field Specters, Oklahoma City. Bullets or balloons. Jerk it. Spokanistan. Shubsky. Croatia, Tajno Zanadje, <laughs> sorry, King Champion Sounds of the Netherlands with Big Red Button, Mayan Revolutionary, hell yeah, with live version, Open Minds, Open Minds, from Up City, and Still House Plants out of Glasgow with Obi Lowe's, slash Lowe's, and uh, back to uh, John Elderkin's uh, musical journey. So, uh, what was the first gig you saw, John? Uh, I think the first the, the first gig I remember was was an outdoor show in in Charlotte. I grew up in Charlotte and um, in North Carolina, and sure. uh, a little west a, of where you are now. Pardon? A little west of where you are now. I think the first pad I played yep, there yep. was called Pterodactyl yep. Club. Yeah, and get this, Charlotte's also notorious for me because it's the last time I played with D Boom. It was opening for you know, R.E.M., and they brought us on for the encore, and they actually gave me one of Pete Buck's guitars. I can't play it very well, two tiny fucking strings, but we did See No Evil, if you know that television song. And Georgie played so, the floor, Tom, and uh, um, you know the, 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 the R.E.M. guys were out there, and that's the last time I played with them was in your town. I think it was, uh, I can't remember the date, my mind blocks it out, but it was like in the first two weeks of December, 85. So my brother and I were at that show. Oh shit! Okay, John. Yeah. Then we're we're co-conspirators going way back. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh I, wow! You were wearing were you wearing like a, a Chairman Mao kind of a hat? Kind of. Well, no, I had big uh, bushy hair, but I was wearing. Debu wanted me to look like uh, Hefe, you know, and so he had me wearing army clothes and not shave. And he also said, "Look, you got to try this no meat thing." So all I ate for three, four months was broccoli. My skin was kind of turning green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that was the weirdest kind of thing. And then he said he was going to dress like Bruce Springsteen, but I, I didn't really see that too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. Now, as, as I recall that gig, they yeah. REM got up and did an acapella version of Moon River, and then you guys came up. Yeah, they brought that. us on. Yeah, yeah. We didn't bum rush it. We were invited. <laughs> No, I yeah, I didn't mean that. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so we Vincent we Gallo. Back and, speaking of that song, man, I saw Petra Hayden and Vincent Gallo do a duet of that song up in uh, Hollywood. Wow, blew me away. That's a great lyric. Mm. Raymond Pettibone, one of his favorite lyrics. Mm. Uh, so you were at that gig. How old were you? I would have been about eighteen. Okay, because yeah. I was yeah. uh, about a week away from. 27, uh, 28. I was 27 at the time. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So, what was the first gig? Let's get back. I'm sorry to change <laughs> yeah. it out on you. Um, well, I, so I don't usually band... get to share shit like that with people, though, John. Like, the last gig I played with D. Boone, I don't have a lot of people I can share that with. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And, and actually, I talked to my brother the other day, and he had mentioned it, and I hadn't realized 
I knew that it was your last gig, and then I didn't. You know, it's been a long time, and and he he reminded me of that. So I, I yeah, I was aware of that. Um, and so whenever I hear "See No Evil," it, it's kind of special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could do that. So later. Peter, Peter Buck gave you a guitar. Well, to play for the song, <laughs> not to take. Home. Oh, he didn't. I, I <laughs> and I couldn't use a pick. I'm there with my fingers, but I knew the lick. You know, I, me and D. Boone, Marky Moon, and uh, Richard Hell, Avoidoid, mm-hmm. Blank Generation. Those, wow, they big influence on us. Well, a lot of records, yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff. So, so what was the first gig? It wasn't that um, one, was it? No. So I couldn't get into clubs. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I would wait for weekend shows where they would bands would play outside at you know on on the square at Queens College or wherever and there was a British invasion band called the Sponge Tones and oh, that yeah. is the first kind of cool rock show I remember. All right. Yeah. Okay. So like no, not really a music thing in school, but what about after school with your buddies like the bedroom uh, basement garage yeah. thing? Okay. Because you you mentioned something about guitar. How did you get turned on to the guitar? Well, I, you know, so I I, I discovered rock and roll, um, like real rock and roll. We had like some hippies living next door, and, and I think they realized this poor kid is obsessed with music, and he doesn't know anything about it. So <laughs> they invited me over, and, you know, it's like the classic story. I, years after the Beatles broke up, but they played me a Beatles record, and I was like, whatever this is, I want more. And um, and I kind of went from there. And I'll be honest, when I was at that gig, the R- that was the first time I saw R.E.M. that night. And uh, I went out and got a Rickenbacker guitar with my paper delivery money. And uh, I wanted to play like Peter Buck all so, the time. Okay, so we can blame Peter Buck. Okay, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy to blame. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that, that's bitching. So... Uh, was you bought it with your own money, so it wasn't. Because sometimes I get the story. My parents w- bought me this thing, but they said, if "I'm going to get you this. You got to take lessons." But it sounds like you were yeah. way motivated anyway. I was motivated, and and I was with a group of friends that would become my first band. Our parents were not actually all that interested in, in it, and I think they thought, you know, as long as it keeps him from driving us crazy, that's fine by me. Okay. Um, so we kind of invented our own way of of being in a band. I, you know, I didn't know any, I didn't know what musical harmony was. I didn't know how to tune a guitar. I didn't know anything, yeah. and uh, we just kind of invented our way of doing it. And what was this? This band have a name? Uh, our our high school band was called the Fifth Column. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, the, and uh, infiltrators parents. Parents would leave town for the weekend, and and we would get called in, and we would play in somebody's living room, and yeah. you know that whole thing. House party. Yeah. Or we called them keggers because yeah. you do them in the backyard with the pony keg, and yeah, the, yep. the grass grew yeah. really tall and bright green from all the pissing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you remember your first uh, fifth column uh, gig? I do. I sure did. What was it like? Um, we well we couldn't find anywhere to play and we we ended up in a city park that um that had a um uh gosh I just like a little a cement just a cement uh floor with a canopy over it and they said we could play from 6 to 8 one saturday and Whoa. so we long set we brought all our equipment and 
again, like we didn't know anything. Our drummer set up on the cement floor, and of course the drums started sliding all over the place. So, you know, it, it was that kind of thing. But I'll never forget. So part of my musical story is I spent most of my life on and off playing with two friends, Steve Rubenthal, who I co-wrote a lot of songs with, and Jim Rumley, our drummer. And um, Steve Ru- Steve was uh, he was the kind of guy who was hoping that everything would always be perfect. And I always was like, I don't care if it's perfect. I just want to make a lot of noise. And uh, <laughs> right before we got up, right before we got up to play our first song ever, he says, I really hope we can get this song perfect. And I said, Steve, there's no chance at all. And he just kind of smirked and he goes, I wish that didn't make you so happy. <laughs> and then, boom, we were off. <laughs> That's bitching. How, how long this band last? Well, what you saying? Some of the, the, the drummer man you're still playing with? Well, so the drummer and Steve was Steve played everything, but bass and guitar, depending upon the band. We we were in various bands together for a long time, um, uh, but uh, Steve died a few years ago, and then oh, uh, Jim Jim died a year after him. So oh, it was a long it was a long on and off thing, but. Um, They've been gone for four or five years. Okay, so. but but yeah. from the from the fifth column, did the fifth column ever graduate to recording or touring? No, we you know we we had uh, videos. There are videos of us, um, uh, but no, I, I think we you know we would just put up a, a, a cassette recorder in front of us and record into a cassette tape. But that we we were we were playing a lot of covers and we didn't. Uh, we didn't imagine ourselves as something bigger than that, so it okay, wasn't when, until when, I got to college that we we started. Yeah, uh, when you get to college, you start playing with guys that wanna record, that wanna tour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Tell me about that. Yeah. So yeah, so Steve and I both went to uh, Chapel Hill, the University of North Carolina, Tell and I was know. I was actually. Oh yeah. James Warren. I was really against going to college because I, I was like, I, my job, I want to be in a rock band. What are we doing going to college? And um, again, Steve was like, what are you, nuts? So, <laughs> so. <laughs> He's the pragmatic guy. <laughs> in some ways he was. But you know yeah. what? And, Chapel Hill is good music town. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I got to work at Cat's Cradle, and I was deep in all of that. It Frankie. Was, it was the best. Brother Frankie. Love Frankie. Yeah, I, yeah. I played all He's, four, all four Cats Cradles. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I wouldn't shit. You. Yeah. He's, he's. Uh, I love that guy. Yeah. He's, he's really, yeah, important in my life too. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we we came to town and started a band called the Popes, and um. We again were just kind of making things up as we went, and we were, you know, we were sort of a. I know the term like pop punk or punk pop doesn't like it. I don't know what it even means, but in my mind we were sort of, yeah, (laughs) but that's, that's, I mean, I was, I had that pop. No, no, no. I'm just joking because they borrowed a lot from the buzzcocks. I mean, there's even the Ramones notice there's no, uh, it's not too bluesy. You know? Yeah. I think the Ramones had a lot of pop. Yeah. I don't don't think, you know, labels to me are kind of useless anyway. (laughs) Music's music. No, I agree. I was just trying to 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with no, you. No, I know that it was a big deal. It still is. Some people, if they don't have a name for it, they don't know how to deal with it. I know. It's weird about that, but that's humans. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I mean, when people ask me, I, I actually have tried to get away from the musical description and talk about what we were, which is sort of we were... I feel like our, our ethos was like we were frustrated, skeptical young men, but we kept our chins up, you know? Like, to me, that was the Pope's. That's kind of like Minute Man. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys were just such killer musicians on top of that. Although we practiced Blue Oyster Cult before, you, you know. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm a few years before you, so there was this culture of copying off records. Mm. That, that ended up kind of good training. I don't know how good it was as being original. We're lucky that the movement came because we didn't know one person who wrote their own fucking songs. At least right. you didn't said you didn't know what you're doing, but you're and you said you played some covers, but you wrote songs, right? Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, you know. Um, so when you when you guys were learning covers, like did you did you want to get them to sound like the record, or no. did you use those? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, here's what I the, always the analogy I give John, like building models, you know, race car, dragster. Or, hey, it kind of looks like the real thing. <laughs> you know, actually, they look more like the rat fink ones with the giant eyeballs and the tongue hanging out. <laughs> but that's what it was. There was no way you could really learn because our ears weren't good enough. Uh, yeah. But but it did you know there was no culture to write to use music as expression for us here in Pedro in the early seventies we had to wait for the moment uh, look we're at the end of the first hour uh, Halloween two thousand eighteen with uh, John Elderkin special guest hold tight for hour two October thirty one two thousand eighteen Happy Halloween it's hour two what from Pedro show.
Bronson too I say David Bowie Ancient prophets got nothing on you With your voice so true Like Marcel my soul
Everybody wants the same thing every summer And everyone gets all burned up by the sun Problem with reality, know your enemy, the destroyer. Communication is grateful. The pains are imaginary. The time shortage is real. Oh, very distant ship, I have counted your rivets and blessed on every sail. It is like echoes now, all that I can hear. Conversation is slowly dying as she holds up the phone. Persuasion for simple tasks, expert teams on the chores. Each brush with reality temporarily delays the inevitable and then back into the dreamland. Sunshine counts the hours. Days go dingling by. I am waiting for a chance to take over once again to talk. A bit of love so briefly. Memories, debris in a storm. Rescued from the curb. It splits your imagination. To be on the dying side, let us turn on the TV. 
Oops, it is too late for that. How many more times will I touch base with her?
Juan for Pedro. Show start off the two, second hour with uh, the next three uh, parts of uh, John's uh, piece. A uh, song for David Bowie, uh, Gather Your Strength, and Don't Look Right at the Sun. Then we heard Joe Brewer out of Madison with In and Out, and Mike Ragnetta, Brooklyn. You can't choose your family. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a true <laughs> test. Uh, okay, okay, so uh, the Pope's. Yeah. Uh, what, what what becomes of them? Um, we we had a really good run. We played a lot in the South, you know, toured around in the South. Occasionally, we'd get up to New York. Um, we we got a record deal, and the record deal freaked us out, and we imploded. Okay. <laughs> so kind of a sad story, sad ending. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing now. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty typical, it seems to me. I don't know. Um, you know, I, when we started out, we did everything by ourselves, including, you know, paying to put our record out and stick it in mailers and all the rest of it. And and then you reach this point where you're like, wow, if, if we don't get some help, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, 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 we won't move forward. And I think we we had this idea that a record deal would, would be what would help us and uh looking back you know like, eh, maybe not <laughs> yeah but you know that's why what did flipper say life is the only thing worth living for <laughs> so you, you maybe some stuff like that you gotta learn you gotta walk through it. yeah i think uh, yeah, mr I think... bukowski said uh, what matters most is how you walk through the fire <laughs> uh so I, yeah so yeah. can we get into this piece here because i'm going to play the next yeah. few parts You know what brought brought it? Uh, I, I looked at the trailer thing, and, and I guess you were doing a gig, and fire came out of the end. <laughs> That's the story I'm telling. Um, I, um, you know, I, I think like you, maybe I, I got to a point where I wanted to to tell a bigger story, and um, I actually gave up music for about nine years, and I didn't touch a guitar, and I, I, just, I. I wrote a memoir and I, uh, I, you know, like just started thinking about storytelling and just wanted to tell a great big story. And, you know, I was thinking about the Pope's and my, my friends, Steve and Jim and, uh, sort of the price of going all in. And I was like, how can I make this really fun and freaky? And I came up with the idea of why not do, why not pick up where I think David Bowie left off with Ziggy Stardust. And, you know, that's a tricky one because if you listen to that record, it's not really clear what's going on in that. But Well, the title um, says The Rise and the Fall. So in a way, it's kind of, yeah. there's no room for part two, right? <laughs> Unless the Phoenix, yeah. except the Phoenix kind of idea where you do come from the fall. And that's the that's right. the that's the feeling I got from your piece. It was almost the phoenix, the the bird coming out of the fire. Yes, the yeah. wreckage, the wreckage. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and in my mind, the, you know, the story. So you know, Bowie says at the beginning of of that record, in five years the world is going to end. Right. And so my record picks up. I'm like a kid in the '70s, and I believe everything I hear from rock stars. And in this world, everyone does. So we wait five years and the world doesn't end. It's like, well, now what? So I start a band. And then that band gets its cosmic message. And, you know, like all, I tried to make it like all bands. Every band thinks they've got that special thing. And they do. They have that special thing that they want to share with the world. 
I just made mine a message from the cosmos. And uh, yeah, um, a band is a trippy kind of thing because it's kind of an idealized way of getting humans together, almost like the perfect political state or something. Mm -hmm, <laughs> of course, mm -hmm. it's not. But I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, you started out. So first, you got your narrative going in your head, and then you're thinking, okay. I gotta flesh this out. Oh fuck! You there, John? We lost uh, internet for a little bit there. Sorry. Yeah. I got some I'm... big winds uh, here. We call them Santa Anas. They come out of the desert sometimes. Well, sometimes they like yeah. help big fucking fires, but maybe that has no, nothing to do with it. But I lost you there for a sec. So let's pick back up where you were. You were talking about uh, kind of. A little influence from David Bowie's uh, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. You're kind of taking it off where it leaves off. Uh, the idea where the band is kind of blessed with a certain knowledge. Right. So we get, we, we're a dive bar band. We're, we're not going anywhere, but we think, you know, we think we have this message. And, yeah, so there's a, a, a song on the record that's kind of, uh, it almost it's like a Native American chant. <laughs> There's a lot going on with that, but it's yeah. it's meant to be this cosmic moment where we our gig is interrupted. My amp catches on fire, like you know Moses in the bush, and uh, and uh, we get this cosmic message, and off we go, thinking that you know the world is going to listen to us, and we have something important to say. Okay, let's listen to the next three parts.
gets fucking cold, even for Sioux City, my beer won't pour out of the can. I'll load the gear, settle up with the man. You guys go warm up in the van. Yeah, let's get back in the van. same cup we're volunteers we raised our hands it's been six months okay a year time means nothing in the van right let's get back in the van This one, la 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 la. We will be heard. Spring will thaw our toes. We'll laugh. We almost quit the plan. Please, let's get back in the van. got sick and we didn't know why You got sick and we didn't know why
Watch for Pedro Show. In the next three parts, John Elkins, a big opus. Keep it down. Get back in the van. <laughs> and you got sick. Then we heard Dustin Wong, brand new village made of the Zephyr. Litany from Tashiwada, Yoshiwada in France. And finally, Amy Apps with Hooverville. So, uh... I'm, I'm, I'm interested to, like, okay, now it's time to, like, realize, and, oh, shit. John, we had a little trouble again. So, did, did, did you pick up on what I was, uh, we're, we're back, though. Did you pick up on what I was saying there? Like, you got this idea of the framework of the, you know, the big narrative, the big story, and when it came to, like, actualizing the different parts... Did they come mm -hmm. in order? Or no. now I'll try the, you know, the third from the last part, or now I'll try the, the middle part, or now, what am I going to start with? Oh, fuck! Okay, did you get my question about how you put this together? Because I don't know what it well, fucking cut out, so I don't know how much it uh, hurt. Well, I was saying, I mean, you got the story together in your mind, and as you were fleshing it out and realizing it, uh, how did you get all the part? Did you do it sequentially? Like, if this needs this no. here, this, I'm just interested in the process. Yeah, no, I like the talk process. So I, I had the general idea of how what the beginning, middle, and end would be, which is they get the cosmic message, they go out on the road and, and, and fail, and then there's – I wanted to get kind of silly in sci-fi, so at the, at the, in the last act, I, I build a homemade rocket in the backyard with my sax player, and we fly to the moon with a, um, with a megaphone and uh, then shout down to the people of Earth. <laughs> so right. I, You don't I, want to I, give too much I, away because we ain't played those parts yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. but I'm, I'm wondering okay. the process like – yeah, th now this has got to happen. I got to make this clear to the listeners. So I'm going to use this and that, and like, uh, basically, it's, it's like tricky. a solar system, right? Because uh, the, the yeah. planets are all part of the same system, right? And, and like the planets are like pieces of the piece, the big piece. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And then deciding, you know, which uh, <laughs> which which stars need to shine when. I didn't actually know the order of most of the songs, and I. I was living alone in this cabin in the woods for a long time, just me and my dog, and I was obsessed with this project. And I, I would put uh, song titles on pieces of paper and, and paste them on the wall, you know. And I would move them around and think about where ideas needed to fit. And it really only came together right at the end. I, the, ah, so you were song. you were even though you had the big concept in mind, uh, like in the acute, real close. You were making little tunes. Uh, the parts were actually like tunes of themselves. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how else to do it, to be honest. Um, yeah. I was and, inspired. And you, uh, have you ever heard this uh, Who record called Happy Jack? Oh, yeah. There's a song oh, yeah. on there called A Quick One While He's Away. I, I'm obsessed with that song. That's what, that's what I used for my three operas. Like what? Really? If, yeah. What if it, you know what you want to say ain't big? Uh, the format ain't big enough. And so, yeah. like what Pete Townsend did there, they went through this little journey. There's bayou, there's beach, there's mountains, there's pasture. You know. Uh, yeah. F uh, forest, yeah. Uh, whatever. 
Do you know how he put that together? Huh? Do you know anything about how he put that together? I have absolutely no idea, but you do hear parts of it in, in later works of his. Uh, yeah, I have no idea, but for some reason that resonated with me way more than Tommy. Yeah, me too. Well, and Quadrophenia more than Tommy. Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know why. And same with D. Boone. Isn't that a trip? And we at the end of the oh. yeah, even sellout <laughs> second hour. Yeah. Halloween 2018. Just Peter uh, show special guest John Elderkin. Hold tight for hour three. October 31, Halloween 2018. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro Show. I count the miles and months gone. I search around on Google Earth. I say you're with me I track the moon between us can we See at the same time when I sing, you're with me. I know you tried hard as me. I want a new start I want a new 
use my sweet baby to go for the clothes. I snuggle her up. I fill him up. Fat Levon on acid. Life is not so bad. Fat Levon on acid. Life is not so bad. Fat Levon on acid. Life is not so
Started the third hour off with uh, the next three parts of uh, John Elkins' Moonbeams No Mas. Uh, by the way, that's Espanol for like, no more moonbeams. Okay. Uh, maybe. <laughs> that's the way I did. Anyway, it was Danielle Long Gone, uh, Fat Levon on Acid, and Megaphone on the Moon, which is, you kind of like gave away that little part of, uh, on the end of the second hour, but that's okay. Uh, Mold Omen after that with Levitation out of Balmar and the Doers from. Set town, the big one on the west side, uh, Vancouver. <laughs> Actually, there's one in Washington State too. So if you're not forgetting which border you're crossing, yeah, you get fucked up that way. Well, United and wrong. So we're back talking about his uh, his piece, and it, what's really interesting. We were talking off air, uh, listeners. Uh, John, the piece didn't end for John when he got done writing and recording this thing. He he actually sees a future for it in. Uh, like adding on other perspectives, artistic expression, like maybe uh, musical, maybe uh, animation. Explain, John. Yeah, I just when when I finished it, um, I, I thought, you know, as we were saying earlier, I was thinking about rock operas, I was thinking about Quadrophenia, things like that, and uh, and then it sort of dawned on me way after the fact that what I, I think what I've written is the soundtrack for. A performance piece, so either something to be acted out or uh, animated by a cartoonist or something like that. Right. And now that I see that, it seems plain as day. <laughs> okay. I didn't see that earlier. No, at first, yeah, it started out yeah. you and your dog in your cabin and pieces of paper getting uh, yeah. put in different sequences. That's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, did you make little demos? Let's get into the making of it. Uh, actually, uh, what yeah. studio did you use? I was at a place called Old House Studio in Charlotte. In in in, um, I I have a, a sort of a, a he's become sort of a writing partner. Chris Gar just runs Old House Studio, and he was incredibly sympathetic. And he was one of the few people who didn't just kind of roll his eyes and say, "You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna do what?" <laughs> he was really into it, and. So I would make I'm I'm not I don't like to make demos that are all involved. I like to just put on a, a recorder and and play the song and move on and he's he's really a, he's got the a, a vision, you know. He can hear what I'm up to and and then start to really help me flesh it out. So I I have to give him a lot of credit and that's how we worked is I would I would send in maybe a, a three three or four track demo tops mm-hmm. done quickly and then he would he would sort of know where we should go. It was, it was great. And then the other musicians? Yeah. So the, the, one of the things I wanted to do, I had been away from music for a while, and I wanted to bring together as many of my old friends and, and, and people who had been in the scene back in the day. I wanted as many. I wanted it to be a community. Yeah, so there yeah. must be 20 or 30 people playing right, on this right. record. <laughs> yeah. Now, now was, was there a lot of decide involved with that? Well, you wanted to fit everybody in, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, you know, it's funny. I, there were a few people I really wish had not thought I was a crackpot. <laughs> and, then, and then there were some people that, you know, you couldn't make it work or that you had moved out of town or whatever. Um, uh, but most, most people were, most of my musician friends were game. And, you know, especially once I explained to them, I'm not trying, this is not an homage to David Bowie. It has almost nothing to do with David Bowie. I'm just using his story 
to jump off and tell my own story. And I feel like that's what music and art do, right? Like, as you, you, you hear some something you love and you're like, well, I want to respond to it. I, I can and, relate, John. Uh, my third opera, uh, Hyphenated Man, I borrowed heavily mm-hmm. from Hieronymus Bosch. But it ha- I don't really? know five... I don't know a five six hundred year old Dutch, <laughs> so I just made up my own ideas of what those little amalgam of creature things were, so I could use it. Oh fuck, lost it. people! These 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 Halloween gremlins keep trying to ruin our show, but we're not going to let it happen because we're going to have John explain his piece, and no no Halloween gremlins going to stop it. But anyway, I know what you mean. Uh, that's what it's for, a metaphor. You know, it's to yeah. to relate using something, or or like a cup, right? To drink the bourbon from. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. which uh, yeah. a basketball team is written on the cup. It's more, you know, if it's brown, it's going down. That's the way I look yeah. at it. <laughs> Maybe not the best way to put it, but that, that's the way I look at it. So you had to convince your, 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 your cast of characters, hey, trust me. Yeah, I, I mean, some people were some people were really delighted by how crazy it sounded at first, and I, you know, they jumped right on it. And some people, I had to, I really, you know, the funny thing is, in the middle of writing it, David Bowie died, and and I did not anticipate that. that was, some people would see this as maybe a little bit cynical, and I, I just never even it didn't dawn on me. Do you know, do you know, um, Don Dixon used to work with REM. And, sure, 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 yeah. sure. So Don was on the record, and he was a big help when I was trying to get it out in the world. And he, he was the one who said, "You realize that the calling it a, a, a David Bowie Ziggy Stardust uh, sequel could turn people off." And it never, it, it hadn't even dawned on me that, that would be the case. Because you know why? In, in a way, John, it was a coincidence, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah, I had already started the project. Right. right. I was deep in. It. Yeah. And he had. Uh, and I had. had he had done Spiders from Mars in 1972 or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I had had this fantasy that I would finish it and somehow get a copy to him just to, you know, just to, I just thought, well, that would be cool. But other than that, that was really the, you know, and I put song for David Bowie on there because, you know, I was trying to follow Dylan's song to Woody and then Bowie did song to Dylan and I wanted to do song to Bowie to be part of that through line. He also but, did one um, for Andy Warhol that wasn't too kind. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's and I've read, yeah. Have you ever read about that? Like, I think David Bowie went to a, I mean, Andy Warhol went to a thing where David Bowie played at this before he's big. It's some acoustic, the hunky-dory days. And uh, he, he did not like it. <laughs> no, I didn't know anything about that. Actually. Yeah, that, that oh. just last year. Well, you know, so many stories came out after he passed away, you know. I want to play the last four parts here. Okay? Okay. This is the the final act, people, so listen. I am so afraid of what comes next of losing Gigantic. 
magic night Oh, fantastic light Did we Untie the rope, Levon. Right on.
snuff out that cigarette Tie those cinder blocks to your shoes Tight We'll set up on that ridge Right there Where the dark side meets the light All right, let's go. Okay, Levon, drop it right there. Roger that. Everyone here Friends Look up Look way up here Blue ocean Fills our eyes Our bloody canteens ran dry These jetpacks On our backs They won't get us home Friends We carry rough news And friends You'll have to shoulder it too I wrote a rally cry and promised not to cry. But friends, holy cow, up here you can't believe the size of the sky.
and John were talking off air about uh, hyphenated man and stuff and, uh, and things uh, that parallel his piece. But uh, this is John's the guest, not what, some people. Uh, the last four pieces were Sore Afraid. That's Sore, S-O-R-E. <laughs> uh, Telstar, which was a great uh, instrumental a long time ago, I remember, too. Uh, it was a satellite, communication yep. satellite, I remember. Because, yeah. you know, I was uh, yep. in, growing up in the 60s, the space race was big. A trip to the moon and finally, give me your hands. Uh, to me, it's such, it's just a righteous piece, man. It was a, a very, very uplifting for me. Uh, what, what about touring? Do you ever have ideas? Because t- you're talking about performance. But what about like, uh, you know, yeah, like a band playing it? That kind of performance. I- I would love to do that. Um, you want to join me? Um, <laughs> it's, it's tricky because it is such a big piece and to take, a, I, would, I don't know how many musicians it would take and I, I just, I struggled with how to do it and um, and, and I have not. Um, I did a few, I did a few sort of album listening shows um, with visuals but uh, I have not taken a band out to do that, and I'm I'm up for it. I don't feel like this is going to age, you know. It's, I think I can do it whenever I can do it. They are tough, I will tell you, because you know we don't stand in front of music stands and shit. When I was doing the right. third opera, all of them, the first shows were like nightmares trying to remember all that shit. I had thirty yeah. parts, and each part had four or five parts. So Tom Rowell yeah. and myself had, to, yeah, the Japanese people got the first tour. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, How did you feel about? I mean, you felt like you pulled it off, right? Uh, no, I just thought, you know what? If you got the huevos, <laughs> yeah, just keep charging, but uh, uh, don't be too full of yourself. And uh, kind of like a skateboard thing, right? You can't talk your way out of it. You got to get back on the skateboard. But they were—I had incredible shamings. But I don't know what, another way to do it. You know? Yeah. Those people sitting there with music in front of them, that's a lot different than you up there with two other guys just trying to wing this whole fucking thing. <laughs> but right. you know what? By the fifth tour, we got it. So that's proof. Yeah. That is per- Look, John, what would you tell it somebody uh, who wanted advice? Because your journey through music is really interesting. The way you put it away, it kind of reminds me of James Williamson, who didn't play for 30 years and then came back. Uh, what would your advice be? Just for... for um how a young person wants to, a young person wants to get into music, and what could you tell them by doing it for all these years? I, um, I guess I would say uh, it's okay to trust your instincts and let other people trust their instincts, and um, that's like the hardest thing in the world for for me. Anyhow, it was always like I, that was a lesson I really had to learn, but I I never got too hung up on. Um, whether I was the best musician or singer or anything like that. I just, um, I, yeah, I just kind of, I, I kind of went with my gut and I, I don't know if that, is that too simple? I don't no, know. That's I think it's great. It. I think, in yeah. fact, I think it's fucking fundamental. I think it's, that's what you build all the other shit on. You know, my, yeah. my, in my opinion, I think it's great advice. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It is huge honor for me. And getting to play your whole piece for the people. What a better way have, to celebrate Halloween. Thank you so much, John Elderkin. Well, listen, I, I can't thank you enough. This is like such a privilege. And the idea that the whole record got played, like I will, I will always remember this. Well, so thank it, you. It's one song to me, just different parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and man, You're on uh, it. if you 
any music coming for the future, yeah. bring, bring my way, please. And I'd love to hear news about uh, further developments on this piece. Great. I promise I will. Okay. Thank you, John. It's been uh, October 31, 2018, edition of Watt for Pedro Show. Special guest, John Ellerkin. Happy Halloween, people. Keep your powder dry.